Hello and welcome to the Oh My God podcast season two with myself, Zelda Volkov Lebowitz, and my co-host, Hannah Rachel Cohen Portnoy. In season one, the podcast aimed to talk about success in the face of failure, modern Judaism, and real life. Season two will deliver that same message, but even more potently. Myself and Hannah Rachel have individually and collectively been challenged by the Jewish system we grew up in. Through our evolution, through our questions, our failures, mistakes, and heartbreaks, we have begun to untangle much of what was keeping us in survival mode so that we could truly be set free to thrive. This is what we'll dissect each week with you. The journey, the Jewish journey, real, raw, and vulnerable, because that is the only thing that can truly change lives and maybe even save them. You're just one episode away from being more honest with yourself. Come on and listen. Rivka Mayer and Ramey Smith are the co-founders of Get Out UK, an organization offering financial and emotional support for individuals on their journey towards their get, their religious divorce. In today's episode, Rivka and Ramey are here to talk to us about the development of Get Out UK, the process of what it looks like to work with them, who their clients are, and why they might be calling Get Out UK for support, and the myriad of ways they find to service their community. Welcome to the Oh My God podcast, and we're so honored to have you guys. Thank you so Thank much. You. Please share with us a little bit about this organization that both of you started. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so we'll start how it came to be with its uh, the inception of it, and then uh, and then uh, we'll, Remy will take over. So basically, I waited nine and a half years for my get, and it was a very lonely, difficult journey. Um, like you feel like you're scrambling in the dark and you just can't find where you're going and it's like it, it, it's it's a very desperate time and you're like chapter to go through so it's it's painful and it's lonely and towards the end of it um I just decided to become vocal about it because it was just, it was then and you're only talking two years ago a subject that wasn't spoken about at all nowhere no one spoke about Agunas at all um, so one day I saw something on social media about keeping it real, the hashtag trending hashtag. It was during lockdown, keeping it real. So I like literally took my phone there and then if I thought about it, I wouldn't have done it. So I just like did it on the spot and I did what you see a businesswoman. I have my own salon. I've got my kids. I've raised my kids myself. I've done it. You see this, I travel, I, whatever, you know, you see a power woman, whatever you want to call it. What you don't see is the blood, sweat and tears that went into raising my family and my business by myself, um, waiting nine and a half years for my get. And 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 that was the beginning of a conversation talking about Agunas. And a lot of my clients came um, and started saying, wow, I didn't realize that you you don't have your get yet. And, and a topic started um, consistently coming up in my salon with every client and I realized that people want to talk about this so I every week on my Rifka Salon Instagram brought up um hashtag Aguna Aguna no more like if you um and just talking about being an Aguna and I decided to do a live on Instagram um about wanting to make change and the system is broken and the system has to has to be better and we have to do something but I'm just one person and I don't know if I could do this myself but I think if every person takes on one thing big changes can happen um so I did this live and 
the live got shared 10,000 times. And then everyone, like, it really was a, a topic spoken about. And I think a day or two after this, um, Raimi was a client in my chair in the salon. And she was just, you know, we were just talking normal salon talk and I was doing her wig. And then she just turned around to me and she says, you know, Rifka, I saw your live. And I've really wanted to talk to, talk to you about this for a long time. Um, you want to jump in here, Raimi? <laughs> yeah, I'll jump in. So I had known that Rifka was in Aguna for a while. And I wanted to bring it up because my background is in women's education and women's, the kind of women's halachic arena, but it never felt appropriate to bring it up at work because it's opening a wound. And I didn't want to do that in her professional space. It just never really felt like a respectful thing to do. Um, but after I saw her live, I was sitting in her chair and I just felt like I couldn't not say anything anymore. So I said to Rifka, who's supporting you? Like I'm from America. Ora is so active there in a million communities from, you know, the most modern of Orthodox and Haredi and, and everything in between. And um, the idea of a halachic prenup is just, it, it's like such a non-issue now in the modern Orthodox community. And so I said to Rivka, who's helping you? Like, who are you turning to? Is there an organization here? Um, and she said, there's no one. She was on her, she was completely on her own in the Beit Dean emotionally. And so I said, well, what are we going to do about it? We have to do something like it's, like, you know, my brain is and that was just like it. It was like, I'm sitting in your chair and we're going to do something about it. And when I moved to London about a year and a half before Rifka and I started Get Out UK, I had kind of put, try to put feelers out there for what was happening with Agunot. Like, is there a halachic prenup people are working on? Is anyone talking about it? And I was shut down really surprisingly by a lot of the feminists in our community saying, we've already tried this and we didn't succeed at it. So don't touch this. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not going to succeed with the Bate Din. They're not going to want to they're not going to want to talk to you. They're not going to want to work with you. You're never going to figure out a halachic prenup. There's nothing to be done. And so I kind of just dropped it because um, I figured if they weren't doing the work, no one was doing the work. And then this came up with Rifka and that, and that was it. It was like, we, we just have to do something. And so well, I, think I think that was like, was like Wednesday. Yeah, Friday I think this Wednesday. was a Wednesday and Friday that we sat down for lunch and we just, we, we just came out with get out UK. It's going to be our name. And that was it. And it turned out that I think um, a few days later, I actually received, we, we were starting Get Out UK and we were talking about our organization and out of the blue, I got a really, really out of the blue, Erev Rosh Hashanah, I got a call from a basin that I hadn't even had anything to do with telling me that my, my get is going to be given um, imminently. And apparently um, three gets were actually, three long-standing gets were also given that week to people who, um, to women who the husbands had been withholding, but because they heard of this new organization that had come to town, they were worried that we were gonna expose their names and bring their actions to light to the public. And they quickly ran and gave their wives gets. So within the first week, there were three gets given. Wow. Um, so that was like, yeah. That is fascinating. Can you explain to our audience what Aguna, what an Aguna is, what it means? Yeah. So we we try to be very careful and diplomatic about um, not only making this a women's issue. We do have male clients who face a very unique set of challenges, and we can talk about that afterward. Um, in a Jewish religious marriage, 
a, um, a man has to grant his wife a divorce, um, that document is called a get and a woman has to accept it. So if a man um, is recalcitrant and doesn't want to give his wife a get, or if a man wants to give the get and the wife refuses to accept it, in both of those cases or either of those cases, one of the parties is chained in a marriage that they no longer want to be in. And um, it's not, it is not so simple as a rabbi or community member saying this, you know, this isn't the right thing to do. Go give, go give the get. Um, these are often one small piece of a very complex puzzle of control, domestic violence. Um, and, and it does, it really happens in very few cases. Um, but the cases it happens in are incredibly painful. Like Rifka, like Rifka said, her own case, incredibly painful, um, and very traumatic for the people going through it and their broader family. Wow. Thank you. First of all, it's incredible that you guys, uh, well, I know Rivka was was dealing with this issue for a very long time, but it's incredible that you, Rami, Rami? Rami. Rami. Okay, sorry, I want to say. Okay. Um, that you found, you know, you, you saw this opportunity that you could do something and you really just didn't skip a beat. You just like jumped right on it. That's so admirable and amazing. So thank you for that. Really, it's incredible. And what do you think happened? So I guess the first time when you guys created this organization, immediately they just got scared and and you think that's why those three gets happened in that first week? Yeah, I think we we started an Instagram page and we said things like, if we did a protest, who would show up? Mm -hmm. And things like that really scared this particular group of men. Um, there are people who that doesn't scare. There are people that prosecution and jail doesn't scare them into giving a get. Um, but for the most part, we've learned that because there was no one to be accountable to, people really got away with doing horrible things in exchange for a get. So now that we were like the new sheriffs in town, anyone who was acting this way, but didn't want anyone to know it. They wanted the story to be like, it's a complicated, messy divorce. Um, those people gave a get pretty quickly and they continue to give gets pretty quickly when they know we're involved because um, they know we're not, we're not afraid to be public about things. Wow. Can you share with us the process? What, what happens if somebody is going through this terribly long waiting period um, and is in Aguna, what do you as Get Out UK do to support and help a woman or a man in this kind of situation? Rifka, you wanna? So initially they contact us by email or through the phones and um, the process starts with just an initial phone call. Um, and then we book in to do what's called an intake with them where um, either I do it myself or most times it's Remy and myself, we do it together. Um, we take um, a lot of details from the client, um, some basic general detail, and then going into about the marriage they were in, what led up to their separation, who's supporting them through it, um, financial help that they may need, where they where they are financially, and then about the, the spouse who's refusing them. Um, and um, if they've opened a file, where they are civilly, both civilly and halakhically in on that journey. Um, after that, um, they have to sign some cons consent forms. And then um, Remy and I meet and discuss the intake and what we've heard. And we work out a plan of action. 
Um, we will, if they have already opened a file at the base then we will then discuss the case with the Dionym or you know the secretary there um, and work out a plan with them um, or get legal advice and work with the lawyers. Um, we have organizations in Israel that we work very closely with, um, be it if um, we have some cases that one one party is is living in Israel, one here, which makes it much more difficult, or America or somewhere else. So we connect with other organizations around the world that can help as well. Um, and then we just get busy, both fundraising and um, and working really hard. Yeah, planning. So protesting is a is is a part of the strategy. Um, very rarely there, the laws here about defamation, I was ready to protest from the beginning. Um, I kind of like grew up in that mindset, like going to protests and stuff. Um, but the laws of defamation in the UK are really different than the laws of defamation in America. So we, even in cases that are very clear cut get abuse, it's not so simple that we can make a protest. Um, and also, some of our clients have legal cases open that are really delicate, sometimes in the family court, sometimes in the criminal court. Um, and we always have to weigh what's in the best interest of the get. There are, we work with domestic violence organizations and we work with lawyers and politicians. Um, we were part of a team that got get abuse recognized as domestic abuse, according to the law. So we work with this like really holistic kind of team, but our goal is always the get. And so if we think a protest could compromise the get, um, we would recommend to our client that we don't do a protest for them. And sometimes our clients will say to us, oh, you did a protest for her. Why don't you, why won't you do a protest for me? And so we have to explain that every case is different. Every based in is different, not all Bate Din like protests some of us tell us some of them tell us to protest um so we kind of we always are weighing kind of the overall political situation that we want to raise awareness of and each individual case and what's best for the get right wow that makes sense that makes a lot of sense wow that's incredible so how is there a number that you guys helped so far or is that is that a tally you guys are keeping oh yeah definitely <laughs> definitely i think we have in two years six i think we're up to i think we've done 15 and no i think we're at, i think we hit 17 wow. oh, really? i have to that's recount. amazing so yeah incredible. and you would say in most cases you're helping the woman get to get yeah actually yeah but we did um we did a protest there's one client who's been waiting eight years and she's incredibly physically ill and the bait dean is just not really doing anything but they told us to protest so we did this protest in stanford hill we did two for the same woman um and we we get told it's not sneeze to protest they don't they you know the second we show up all of a sudden it's like radio stanford hill like one man pulls out his phone and then all of a sudden like outside of the yeshiva like boys are popping their heads out and people are walking by us and we did an intake of a man last week and we asked him how he found us and he said he walked by our protest and afterward I said to Rivka we have been focusing on the women walking by us and like I would have never guessed that a man would come to us through our protest so we do have male clients um and I, like I said earlier, the challenges they face are really unique because when someone thinks of Igun, of someone being refused to get, they think of a woman. And so very often when we meet with a based in, um, the, or when we meet with a lawyer or when we meet with an advocate, the language around abuse is almost always 
male and it slips out really it just slips out naturally like oh and and he refuses to get and he and and for the male victims of domestic violence who are being refused to get it's incredibly painful for them to be put even accidentally or momentarily in that position so one of the things that we work on also as an organization even though like we are very much mostly a women's organization is actually raising awareness and sensitivity towards the men who go through this because their their set of challenges is just so different um and and small things like pronouns could be so painful right it could be very emasculating also for a man in that kind of situation and they could be very ashamed and it's harder to come out and say like i'm stuck in this bind please help me you know and for women it's you know there's a lot thankfully there's a lot more support for women. Um, I know just in general with financial aid and just across the board, you know, for a person going through divorce um, or once they are divorced, there's just a lot more support for single moms and women than there are for men. I also think just like very practically, men are not taught to feel publicly. And so for a man to come out and say, I'm in a vulnerable position and I'm being abused and, you know, especially within the framework of halacha, which very much puts the power in the man's hands, both in the marriage and in the divorce, to say that power has been taken away, it goes against everything that men are taught by society. And it's very difficult to allow for them to allow themselves to kind of be held as a victim and supported as a victim. Right. That's so true. I have a question. Is there a case or is there a, 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 a situation that you think it's appropriate at all? And I know every case is completely different with its own set of challenges and limitations, but um, is there, or could you offer some advice where, not advice, but like maybe some light on when it is appropriate to withhold the get for a certain period of time, or, you know, I feel like this conversation is so charged as it should, because it is a very uh, urgent matter to many, many people going through this. But I also feel on the flip side, um, it's almost like, you know, a lot of like the liberal issues um, in today's day and age where it's like, you don't want to say anything that will rock the boat, like about transgender or, or this, it's just like, you don't want to get into that conversation. I feel similarly when it comes to get issues, it's almost like you don't want to say anything that will make someone feel like you support a get refuser, which obviously you don't. Nobody supports a get refuser. But I wonder if there's maybe any light you could share on this in terms of is there a certain amount of time when someone is, is deciding to separate from divorce where the conversation about get has to take place? Rifka, do you want to answer this? Um, so we get asked this question all the time, like what's the appropriate amount of time to wait? It's one of the reasons that we are really, um, thorough with our intake process because every case is different. Um, we have had cases where, um, people have come to us and said, I'm being refused to get. And the reality is, is that, um, the reason a get was being refused is because that person, was a flight risk. And the husband was worried that if he gave the get, she would leave the country with their kids before going to a trial. 
Um, we don't believe in any circumstance using the get as a weapon is acceptable. Um, there are certain bate din who, if, if, if people are settling financial matters in a base din, for example, the basin might say, you know, let's do a din Torah and then right afterward we'll do the get. There are some bate din who will say, if you're settling financial matters in a secular court, we handle the get here. And so let's just get that done. I think as an organization, our policy um, is that giving the get is actually like an act of love and it just increases goodwill in very difficult divorce situations. Um, and also now with this new law that got passed, withholding, unreasonably withholding a get is considered domestic violence. So even, you know, a, it seemed a lot, we hear kind of from men like, oh, now, even if I'm reasonable and saying I don't want to give a get till we settle these things, I'm going to be labeled an abuser. And the truth is, is that there is a, I mean, I don't want to say there's a reasonable amount of time, but divorce is not a really simple or quick or clean break mostly. And so for people to want to process some things and get their ducks in order, we think that that's understandable. When things become clearly a weapon, um, that's when it's not understandable. And that's why every case, every case is different. We never give like an amount of time that someone should be, you know, waiting or expect within to get their gut. Like if someone has a million assets and has to split up a ton of stuff, it would make sense that in general, the divorce process would take longer. Um, so we, we kind of like to keep our eye on how people are talking about the get and, um, use that as like a barometer of whether or not it's going to be an issue. Right. Yeah, it is such a vulnerable time and there it's so scary to be in that waiting period and really not know whether it's going to be held against a person as leverage or it's just um or it's just part of the process. So it sounds to me like you have like under, you understand this language at this point, the language around what this person is doing and how they're kind of um going to proceed. And then you make a decision whether it's a, whether it's an appropriate client to get involved with or not. So yeah, as that, said before, yeah. we all we we do have some that aren't technically a gunners, like they're not technically technically um, being refused to get. It is it is taking longer, or there are other things to sort out. But we're there supporting and helping and holding their hands along the journey, and we're just keeping an eye on things and working alongside together with the based in to make sure that it doesn't become a weapon at any point because at some point it's it's that, that very fine line that it can suddenly say up oh, that at this point no until you know it, it becomes a bargaining chip and that's where we step in we say this is not um you don't use this as leverage it's something that has it's obligatory and you have to give it and give it to her willingly and that's it so um some cases are clear cut, get refusal, not a question in our mind. And some we, but we won't tell someone, we won't take them on as a client. We'll still support them along the journey. Also, I think it's one of the reasons it's good that there are two of us because we have really different triggers and really different instincts. And so when we do these intakes together and when we do meetings with Dianum together, 
if something doesn't feel right to Rivka and, and she bounces it off me, if something doesn't feel right to me, I bounce it off of Rivka. And because of our different backgrounds and experiences between the two of us, we're, we're usually really like able to get our finger on what's going on and, and make a good plan for going forward. But like one of us will always feel if something is off. Wow. Wow. So basically the idea is that when two people decide to split and there's um, a divorce that's imminent, the guy has to give a get, even if she takes all the assets or she takes the kids and he doesn't know when he's going to see the kids. Right. That's like the fundamental concept here. Like, even if he feels like she's requesting all of this stuff and, and he just has to give or not even request it, or maybe she already took it or claimed it as her own. I just want to really understand. Yeah, no, it's a totally fair question. We, so we, we find that we stand somewhere in the middle of, um, at least like from the perspective of Bate Din, from the perspective of Bate Din, we often hear that the courts are too, um, generous maybe towards women and they need to be kind of a great equalizer. Um, the truth is it's very different in the UK than it is in America, because here the assumption is unless there's abuse, that custody is 50, 50. So very often there's like the stuff that needs really sorting out is like yuntif, but that's, that's like only because a, a judge needs to understands Hagim. It's not like it, the, uh, the, the starting point is 50, 50 in America. It's not the starting point. So, um, here things like should be a little bit smoother because of that. Um, and also like we would, we would never say that someone who is trying to take all the assets or trying to take custody, like we don't, we don't help people who are using divorce as a way to hurt someone else. Like this is, again, this is often very, a one very small piece in a really complicated puzzle of a marriage that's fallen apart and very often other forms of domestic violence. Um, and so for the most part, we get like the messy cases. Um, we have had clients who have said, you know, he wants to give the get, but I want this. And we'll say, well, now you're making a condition and you can't be our client if that's the case. Like we're here to help you get the get and like I on the prize, that stuff can get sorted out somewhere else. Um, we don't, we don't let our clients get exploited. We don't, um, you know, if last minute someone says, I'll give you your get, but give me 10,000 pounds. Like we don't, we don't play that game. We don't buy freedom. Um, but we're also very honest with our clients. Like sometimes they want immediate results and we have to say things take time. Diana are human. Um, you're not their only case. They're swamped. Um, we tried, I mean, yeah, we, we tried to be, we tried to be like really fair in that. And sometimes our job is, um, like not being the bearer of bad news, but like bringing someone's feet back to the ground and kind of explaining to them, this is where you're at. And like, you're being reasonable on this, but you're very much not being reasonable on something else. And we also know that we, like we remember and remind our clients that our, our job and our role is to help them get their get. And that's the lane that we stay in. And if they start, you know, bringing everything else to us, um, as long as it's during the get process, we, we work with other teams involved in custody and finances but once the get has been given 
our job is then done. And we we maintain a great relationship with all our clients. We have an amazing WhatsApp group with um, not all, but a lot of our clients. Some don't have WhatsApp, so they're not on the group, but those who do, where we just share chizuk and um, people saying to Helen for each other and just, you know, someone's having a, a bad day and they just want to share it with people who kind of understand because they've been there and just, you know, just bounce off each other and um, or someone's not well whatever anything someone got extra a, a shop was finishing they've got leftover food so come collect it from outside my house there's food here for everyone it's just such a great place of um, caring and sharing and giving so we have our family that is growing constantly um, unfortunately or fortunately but it is and um, and uh, so we maintain that relationship but we don't step out of our boundary once it gets been given thank god our job is done wow wow that sounds like such a special community that you're building mm -hmm. and um it's probably so um it's pro it probably feels so what's the word um like exciting for the women that are or men that are waiting for a get to know that you have such a great number a success rate you know mm -hmm. and it sounds like you guys are doing amazing amazing work and um I also love that um, for someone that's like not involved, like in the story, you know, and let's say, for example, like I'm on Instagram or on social, social media. So a lot of these campaigns, not necessarily from England, but in, in the United States or others that they want, you know, influencers or people on online to share and expose and protest. And I think it's an amazing, incredible social media is, a, is an amazing tool um to advocate and and you know spread awareness and actually um create change but i think that it's organizations like you which is why i think is amazing is every person that just sends me a message oh could you promote this could you share this uh, i don't have time to stop not now start researching how valid it is what it is and i can't just share everything that comes my way um but i think that having an organization like you where i would be able to reach out and say by the way have you heard of this of this case is it valid and just having that um help me just from my end let's say share it and promote it i think is so um important because i just i've heard so many cases where bloggers or influencers are posting these and then they find out later oh that actually you know and it takes time to research and really know that's really what you guys are doing you guys are really going into the case so even from that perspective i think it's so amazing the process sounds very thorough and um, there are two sides to every story and it's so important to really know understand the full picture exactly. you know, it's very nuanced as you said yeah and I mean when they say there are three sides to every story like we try to be that third side we very often talk to exes we talk to their rabbis we talk to their family members um and so we when we started we kept getting asked by Diana how how can we trust what you're bringing forward if you believe every client and we say we do we believe every client but we also do our research because we're an organization and if we're asking for help and we're we're bringing something to the base then we want to make sure that um our reputation as professionals stays you know where it is so we really we really try hard to be as thorough as possible and do as much research i just wanted to add to what rifka said about the whatsapp group beside for it being like the holiest place where people cry together and share some chuz and it's we have 
the youngest is I think 22 and the oldest is in her seventies and from reform to the most ultra Orthodox people, like everyone in between were really one family. But one of the things that we found to be incredible about this community is that, um, God is like our number one topic. Like when we do our intake process, we very often ask how people identify religiously. And a lot of times, like it just comes out in the group. Like, I feel Hashem here for me. I feel like I can make it through this because I feel Hashem with me. And like Hashem brought me this group. And and it's so amazing to me how much Amuna is in this one group of people who are experiencing unimaginable pain. And it's incredible to see, like, I would have guessed people would have been struggling with God, but actually they're kind of struggling with like the system that represents God, that none of them are struggling with God. It's so fascinating. Um, and so it's because of that, it's allowed our, our WhatsApp group to be this place where people share like Devery Torah and blessings for each other before events and before Yuntif and, it's it's been really like incredible spiritual well work as well as like the nitty gritty getting gets like I've I found it to be incredibly spiritually nourishing to know that um there's like a there's a lot of work that gets done on people's spirits but also that like when you have faith like it really carries you through incredibly dark times that's amazing that's really really incredible that you're able to be a part of that every day and that essentially that's really why we're here we're here to um grow in our faith and the fact that you're able to witness that to people who are going through so much pain is and be a part of it and support that and create that you guys really create it it's really just an example for everyone everywhere and i'm excited for people who don't know of your organization um to get to to be familiar and maybe even replicate it wherever they are in a different country um because it's just so important and i absolutely love that you also advocate for men in this situation because i know that the some of the men that i know in this situation in america um really have nowhere to go so um just yeah continue doing this incredible work it's really phenomenal and inspiring thank, thank you. you thank you so much for everything you do and thank you for being on our podcast. Yes. Thank you for exactly. having on. You guys you. actually sold me my first wig. Not to like divert this, but you guys sold me my first wig. And I can't even tell you like how it made me feel like I felt so good about covering my hair because like I was putting on, on my fall from you every day and randomly in a restaurant a few months ago, I heard people talking about how much they love Zelda's. So, so nice. That's so nice. That's so amazing. Wow. To, to feel like that that little thread between us, you know, yeah. that started years ago. That's beautiful. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having Thanks, us. Guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Keep doing amazing work. Yes. Thanks so much. Good Bye. Bye. Good night. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Oh My God podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform so you don't miss any of our upcoming interviews. If this spoke to you, Please share the episode with someone you believe would love it just as much as you did and rate the podcast five stars so we can continue to make content like this for you. If you have a question, suggestion, or interview request, shoot us an email to omgpod at gmail.com. That's omgpod spelled O-H-E-M-G-E-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. Until then, shalom. shalom.